Courtney. And I'm Ellen. We're the hosts of Of the Earth, a podcast dedicated to digging into the many connections, complexities, and contradictions of Chinese art and culture across time and space. It's our very first episode. Courtney, how are you feeling? I'm so excited. We've been talking about doing a podcast for a while now, I think for over a year. And while I'm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and you're in Pittsburgh, through the magic of the internet, here we are. That's right. I mean, I think that one of the few silver linings of this past year, for me at least, um, has been the greater ability to connect with you, especially over Zoom, you know, despite the distance between us. I agree. I love how Zoom has given us the ability to talk to one another any time of the day. Um, You know, one of the things I've really enjoyed this past year is being able to see lectures that I would wouldn't otherwise have access to, like in New York City, for example, or uh, even in China. So it's like we've gained this new ability to time travel. I know. I totally feel the same. One of the only things that I've really missed or that I felt like is sort of difficult or more difficult to replicate is the opportunity to go see exhibition. So a few weeks ago, actually, I was really, really excited when I came across this virtual exhibition tour at this museum in Beijing called the UCCA Center for Contemporary Art, um, featuring one of my favorite artists, I was so excited to be in this virtual space and it really, really felt like I was there again. I mean, almost. Yeah. You sent me a link to the uh, virtual exhibition and I watched it. I'm not super familiar with Cao Fei's work, however. So I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about her. Tolfei, she was born in Guangzhou, uh, which is a city that's located in southern China, super close to Hong Kong. And today there are over 15 million people who live in Guangzhou. Again, that is one city alone. So if we think about, for example, the population of New York State, which is 19 million You know, we can think that one city of Guangzhou is approximately more or less the same population as New York. So that's mind-blowingly large. That's amazing. Um, So what can you tell us about Cao Fei's background growing up in Guangzhou? When was she born? What was China like when she was growing up? Yeah, so Cao Fei, she was born in 1978, which is an incredibly important year if we think about it within the context of China's modern history. It was in that year that former leader of China, Deng Xiaoping, he instituted the series of economic and cultural reforms that he famously called socialism with Chinese characteristics. And one of the most significant aspects of these reforms included the introduction of a semi-free market into China's economic system. 
So these policies, they brought about unimaginable rates of development and transformation within China's socioeconomic landscape. So much that according to the World Bank, uh, the Chinese economy has grown at an annual rate of 9.6 percent since 1978, with purportedly over 850 million people lifted out of poverty. So if we think about this cultural context in relationship to Cao Fei, we can think about how her moving image works, how they're really influenced by this rapid economic development, along with the transformation of her own urban environment. So Cao Fei herself, she's described her memories growing up in Guangzhou as defined by this kind of constant state of transformation and mutation. And throughout her career, she's really demonstrated this commitment to documenting personal and collective emotional responses to globalizing urbanization within both her native Guangzhou and beyond. Wow, she's such a fascinating artist. So it sounds like what you're saying is that her artistic practice has remained in tandem with changing contemporary conditions over the past 40 years in China. Now, Ellen, I know that you have a personal relationship with Cao Fei, and I'm curious, how did you meet? It's actually a really funny story. We met for the first time in the spring of 2016. It was around the time when I was finishing up my graduate studies in Beijing. And I was living in the northeastern part of Beijing at the time. And through a friend, I was introduced to several families who were looking for an English language tutor. And so I would go to this very nice apartment complex. On the first floor, there was a cafe, there was this yoga studio, there was this uh, small little um, grocery store. And so a few days a week, I would go to the coffee shop and I would meet my students and we would study English together. And so while I was in the cafe, I would often see Cao Fei walking around the residential complex. Sometimes she would come into the cafe. She would chat with the owner. And, you know, I was always like a little bit starstruck, right? Because, you know... Me, I, I know this person as a very famous artist. And so I would always think like, oh my goodness, like that's Cao Fei, right? But I never had the courage to go up and, and say anything to her. So I would just go about my business. And uh, one day I was teaching English and she walked up to me, said to me, hey, can you teach my son English? And I would I looked at her. And, you know, because it was like it was like meeting a celebrity for the first time. Right. And so I I, I looked at her and I said, which means teacher Cao or a very, a very polite way to refer to Cao Fei. And she said, wow. Right. And so uh, asking me, you can speak Chinese. And so we spoke a little bit. And at the end of it, she's like, well, you know, I am really looking for an English tutor for my son. So what do you think? <laughs> will you will you be my son's English tutor? 
So, I mean, of course I agreed. So our relationship actually started with me teaching uh, her son English. And so uh, as we got to know each other, I told her that I was interested in contemporary art and I was planning on pursuing, you know, further graduate studies. And so actually she gifted me one of her catalogs that year in 2016. Mm -hmm. And so it still says um, to Ellen, thank you for helping my son improve his English. So I will always, I will always have that as a, a token of, of how we first met or a memory of how we first met. Wow. That's an incredible story. I can't believe you never told me that before, you know, because it, it's almost like serendipity that you met each other at this coffee shop in China and that meeting actually changed I mean, you were already on the trajectory to study contemporary Chinese art, but it sort of set a path in motion um, because now Cao Fei is the central focus of your research, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so she uh, and I have talked about it before and she would always sort of joke, you know, as if this was my plan all along. And I actually just like camped out in the coffee shop, just waiting for her to, to show up and, and ask me to, uh, to be her, her English tutor. But yes, we've also described uh, our meeting as fate, right? Well, it does. It sounds like you and Taofei have Yuanfen for sure. So how did you get involved in her projects? I know that um, you've spent some time at her studio and she's involved you in some of her exhibitions. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so during the summer of 2016, I spent a little bit more time at her Beijing-based studio, which was this very cool abandoned Soviet-style theater called the Hongxia Theater. And then later that year, she invited me to return to Beijing as her research assistant. So there I was tasked with learning more about the history of the theater as well as the surrounding neighborhood, which was was originally part of China's earliest modern electronics factory zone. So during this time, along with her other studio assistants, we conducted interviews with retired factory workers who were still living in the area. We documented social activities um, that these individuals took part in, such as dancing, singing, playing cards, you know, things like that. And we also documented existing architecture, which dated back to the 50s and the 60s and collected archival and photographic materials that were all connected to this history of the neighborhood's development, along with friendly relations with international uh, socialist counterparts during this period. Interesting. So when I watched the exhibition tour of Staging the Era, I was really struck by how they reconstructed this old theater and talked about the, the history, the importance of the history of the theater. How does the Hongxia Theater fit into all of this? 
Yeah, I think that that's a really important question, right? Um, so the construction of the Hongxia Theater it began in 1958 before opening the following year. And the really interesting thing about it is that the theater and the surrounding neighborhood, they are named after the Soviet counterpart. That original factory in um, Russia, it was located in St. Petersburg, and this was all to recognize the Soviet aid in the development of the factory district in which the Hongxia Theater is based in Beijing. So after this official designation, the Hongxia Theater, um, it was this place where people could come together. Initially, they could watch live performances, but then later they could watch films. So I think one of the other really super interesting things that we learned uh, after conducting this research is that the the uh, the theater, it was also built to commemorate China's first computer, its first domestically built computer, uh, computer number 103. So the theater itself, it was in operation from the late 50s until 2008, when it closed its doors to the public for good as part of this larger city Olympic beautification campaign in preparation, of course, for the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games. So Cao Fei, right, uh, fast forwarding to 2015, she moved in the theater in the winter of 2015. So this was right before we met for the first time. As the result, uh, the Hongxia Theater, along with recent video projects, They were created based on this research, this research that I participated in, you know, her, her investigation, looking at the history during this period. This is so interesting because we see the Hongxia Theater, this replica of the Hongxia Theater in staging the era, the UCCA exhibition. And it's it's a replica, sort of frozen in space. But you were actually doing research there. Can you tell us more about what that space was like while it was active, like the real space? Oh, for sure. Um, and I think it's really interesting that you use the term frozen in space because During her time in the theater, you know, she's transforming the space into this kind of time capsule uh, where she herself has argued, you know, time stands still. So uh, throughout the theater's interior, she sourced a ton of both local and non-local objects and other kinds of decorative stuff and decorative fixtures. So while some items were discovered within the original theater in storage or, you know, on the second floor, something like that. Other objects, they were collected from the surrounding neighborhood, you know, like old furniture, other knickknacks. There were also things that were gifted by friends. For example, there was this massive vintage area rug that was given to Tolfe by UCCA director Philip Tenari. Other times, she found objects from the Chinese e-commerce giant Taobao, 
wall, um, you know, such as PRC era film posters, old magazines, things like that. So what's really interesting about all of this is that she's collecting a bunch of objects, you know, from the quote unquote past, right? And therefore creating this kind of historicizing presentation of history, of China's modern history, right? And at the same time, it's this new space of what we might be able to call utopian nostalgia that's located somewhere between the past, the present, and the future. You know, so in my mind, I think that this is a kind of accumulation from all these different places that really reflects her own utopian desire to recreate this imaginary idea of the past. And at the same time, she's trying to construct what really could have never existed in the first place, you know, because all of these objects, they're all coming from very different origins, from very different times, different places, right? So I think that the theater and the surrounding uh, factory neighborhood, they're kind of this really interesting laboratory for the artist's exploration of time and even time travel, right, with an actual physical space. So her um, immersion into the theater and its broader historical context across time is really, really critical in the creation of subsequent works between 2007 and 2020. So speaking of time travel, can you tell me more about the works influenced by the Hongxia Theater? Oh, for sure. One of the earliest film projects is this film called Asia One, which was made in 2018 and debuted for the first time at the Guggenheim, a museum in New York. It was one of five commission works that were a part of this really super cool exhibition called One Hand Clapping. So Asia One, right, it takes place in the near future. So made in 2018, but it's set in 2021, if you can wrap your mind around that, right? It's imagining this future present or, you know, this near future uh, industrial complex that houses this fully automated logistics and distribution center. The film is kind of presented as this love story in a new era of AI technologies depicting this male and female factory worker along with this super adorable plastic robot with a bunch of other automated high-tech equipment. And so these are the only characters that are existing within this state-of-the-art express delivery logistics complex. While the two human workers, while they kind of oversee the operations, they're both living and working under the watchful eye of the robot. Um, you know, one of the most important parts of Asia One is its presentation of this shift where, you know, whereas before China is understood as this labor-based economy, right? It's moving towards this economy that's marked by commercial consumption. So connected to this theme is Cao Fei's later 2019 retro sci-fi feature-length film called Nova. 
Nova, it's drawing directly from the theater's place within China's industrial history. Um, it's set in this fictional Nova city, depicting this group of domestic computer scientists, right? And so they're collaborating with these foreign experts on the development of this new kind of software that's aimed at um, what's called space-time reversion. The foreign team is led by this scientist. Um, she explains the workings of the new computer system called HX103, right? It's this direct nod to both China's computer history that's aided by Soviet assistance, along with Solfei's own investment in computer technologies and the internet throughout her entire career. Uh, explaining the inner workings of HX103, the foreign experts, they detail uh, the computer's ability to transfer from production to consumption, you know, perhaps nodding to the role technology has played in uh, transforming China's industrial economy. I mean, of course, what is a retro sci-fi film without a good love story, right? So following um, this kind of romance between the foreign scientist and her domestic counterpart, the expert team, they leave abruptly, right? And they take all their plans with them. So clearly, the domestic scientist, he is traumatized by this personal loss. Um, and so he sacrifices his son for the greater collective. So what he does is the scientist, he leads the boy into this small room, you know, which is radiating with this kind of uh, hue of phosphorescent fuchsia. Here he, he sends the boy into this door to nowhere, right? And so in this attempt to bring the scientist's time-space reversion project into fruition, he's transporting his son into this vast and unexpected explored virtual realm. But of course, uh, the plot thickens, right? And little does the scientist know this project will be suddenly shut down, leaving his son forever trapped in this cyberspace, right? And so it's Holfei, she describes the boy as this digital ghost that's perpetually haunting somewhere between the, the, the past and the future, along with memory and reality. Thinking about her own interests in excavating the past as means to imagine the future, um, you know, it's Holfei, she herself has talked about how in ancient China, literati who were exiled, they turned to nature. And so they represented these, these details of their landscape, which at the same time sort of functioned as this uh, counterpoint to reality. Yeah, we can especially see this in Chinese landscape painting from the 13th century on when literati who were disgruntled by what was going on in the government of the time, they escaped to nature and they used landscape painting as a form of expression, a way to escape reality. We also might think here about the Peach Blossom Spring by the famous 5th century poet Tao Yuanming, right? And the classical Chinese utopia, the Great Unity or Da Tong in Chinese, or other tales of paradise in which time is suspended. 
Exactly, right? I think with Nova Tolfe, she's really imagining her own kind of counterpoint to reality, right? As was the case in the creation of Asia One, Tolfe, her position within the space itself, you know, is really underscoring the theater's role in shaping her own interests in these multiple kind of temporalities or these multiple understandings of of time. You know, so within the context of of Nova, then the artist, she's weaving elements of the actual theater into the narrative of her film. So much of the film, it was shot in and around the theater. Um, And then at the same time, Tolfei, she's drawing upon these theatrical elements, you know, such as flat stage-like backgrounds, musical interludes, which illustrate the, the, the specific historical function of the theater. So within this kind of this realm of time postponement, which is, you know, what is referred to in Nova itself, individuals, they don't exist. Rather, they, they are, are kind of more like two-dimensional characters, as if they're performing in the Hongxia theater itself. Interesting. So based on your expansive knowledge of Cao Fei's work at the Hongxia Theater, what were your thoughts on the UCCA virtual exhibition tour, which includes the replica of Hongxia Theater? You also get an opportunity to watch Nova, which by the way, I've never seen Nova, but what really struck me in the virtual tour was this moment between Fei and the uh, director, uh, Philip Tanari, where she remembers, she reflects on this moment in the past when he first saw that work and he texted her and said that it, you know, it made him emotional. And so I'm, I'm wondering, what, what are your thoughts about the virtual exhibition sort of tying all of these works together? While I, I was deeply saddened to not be able to experience the exhibition in person, I was completely blown away by this, this virtual tour. This was a, a very uh, a very succinct way to characterize Tolfe's work, right? So her internalization of urban transformation and resulting new realities are so deeply reflected in her own time base work. And so, you know, not only are they reflected in the work, but I thought that these conditions, these ideas were also really, really nicely reflected in the exhibition itself. I think that Tolfei, her most successful works, they're really the result of her own intimate knowledge of space and place. Um, And so for me, you know, the most compelling parts of the exhibition transport viewers to Guangzhou or Beijing's Hongxia Theater, you know, where we can immerse ourselves in Guangzhou's tropical environment. You know, we can literally eat local dishes and then we can look at artworks that are inspired by these regions. So there's this really important dialogue that's happening. So it made me feel like visitors become virtual characters that are seamlessly moving around time and space, you know, kind of meandering between Tolfei's 20 plus years of creative work. And so I think that this exhibition is this kind of time capsule 
that explores the artist's own history. So rather than creating this kind of super clean or austere retrospective, the space, it's loud, it's messy, right? Like sound, it sometimes bleeds from one space to another, you know, which I think is a really nice metaphor. And I think that the exhibition, it does a really good job of presenting the artist as this cultural intermediary. Um, you know, like her practice, it's teetering between temporalities. She's keenly aware of many forms of hybridity, contradiction, as well as examples of everyday life in China. Yeah, Ellen, I think what makes this particular exhibition so interesting to me is that it forces the participant to consider a retrospective of an artist's career as a way to think about time and its uncertainties, especially the interplay between and the simultaneity of past, present, and future. You talked about how in the exhibition, sound bleeds from one space to another, but time also bleeds from one space to another as different moments in Salfei's career confront one another in the exhibition space. What do you make of the functional dim sum canteen that is also part of the exhibition? I was intrigued because dim sum is a food connected to Cao Fei's birthplace in South China and not to the location of the exhibition in northern Beijing. This is the first time I've seen a restaurant where participants can sit down and eat displayed as an exhibition work? Courtney, that is a good question, but a dangerous question because now I'm hungry. <laughs> so I think one of the most successful aspects of Tolfe's practice is her sensitivity to both local and regional identities, um, along with you know, the relationship that these identities have with broader social conditions. So um, as you mentioned, food is an especially important part of daily life in China, right? So most important conversations, they're definitely going to happen over food. And, you know, it's always best shared, right? So the incorporation of the canteen within the exhibition, it's this nod to aspects of Cao's identity as someone from southern China, you know, and even while she has lived in Beijing for many years, right, she still retains this identity. And I think it's also really important to uh, underscore here that Chinese identity isn't monolithic, right? Rather, it's something that is multifaceted, it's complex, right? And so one of the really great things that Tolfe is doing by bringing the canteen into the exhibition is she's allowing these complicated identities identities to become more accessible among broader audiences. And one of the other things that I wanted to add here is that, you know, I see Tolfe as in somewhat of a privileged social position, right? Like she's from this family of artists. Her father is this acclaimed socialist realist sculptor. You know, he is responsible for um, creating the super famous Bruce Lee sculpture that's in Victoria Harbor in Hong Kong. Yet at the same time, throughout her career, Tolfe, she's really challenged this identity by pushing against the artistic conservatism you know, of her parents and their generation. So as an example of this, right, like when was the last time you were able to have lunch in the middle of an art exhibition? 
Ellen, I have to ask, since you posted about it on the Of The Earth Instagram, what does a giant inflatable octopus have to do with China? That's a great question. So the giant inflatable octopus, not only did it make a cameo in uh, Asia One, it was included at the entrance of the UCCA exhibition as a way to make the exhibition feel uh, more playful, a little more fun, you know, sort of, again, to challenge the traditional austerity of a major retrospective exhibition. So you mentioned that you have some friends in China that went to see the exhibition and their response was unexpected in that they thought that this exhibition was sort of too outside the system. Can you talk about that a little bit? Do you think that relates to this octopus inflatable octopus, you know, as being sort of the show starter? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really interesting question, you know, because like not only does it bring up the idea of what's in China, what's called uh, teacher nay versus teacher why. So teacher nay is inside the system versus teacher why, which is outside the system. And so, you know, an, an exhibition that includes this giant octopus and a functional canteen, you know, those would arguably make this exhibition sort of outside the system. And so to some Chinese viewers, you know, they might think of this as uh, an affront on um, their expectations for what an exhibition is and can be. You know, and I think that also to talk about the idea that Tolfei has not really shown in China before, I think that that also marks a really important difference, you know, between how an international audience might receive the exhibition versus how Chinese audiences receive the exhibition. Ellen, well, this has been a great conversation Thanks for sharing your experiences working with Taofei. It was really fun to hear about how you met seemingly serendipitously at a coffee house and ended up working in her studio as a research assistant. I love how much of what you talked about with Salfe's work and especially staging the era connects with the topic of our forthcoming second podcast episode, where we'll time travel back over 2000 years and discuss another retrospective of past, present, and future the tomb of a mercury-drinking Taoist woman seeking immortality. Thank you all for listening to our first episode of Of the Earth. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and BuzzFeed. We are Of the Earth 